You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Hour two on this Wednesday, Dan and the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show. Talk some basketball coming up a little bit later on. We have a new game, Guess That Quote. This might be the first time we've ever played Guess That Quote. Do we have theme music for Guess That Quote? We're working on it. It's moments away. We're curating it as we speak. Oh, I like that. 877-3DP-SHOW. Email address dp at danpatrick.com. Twitter handle at dpshow. Say good morning to our radio and TV partners. You can watch this program. Watch this program on youtube.com slash the Dan Patrick Show. After the recent success of Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning versus Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady. The PGA is trying something new at the Charles Schwab Invitational this weekend. They're going to mic up the golfers, try to expand their access to competitors for the first tournament back. This will be on CBS, and you're going to have some banter here back and forth. Golf's trying to uh, shed the buttoned-up image that it's had for decades. They took a big step forward when Tiger arrived on the scene. Remember the famous fist pump? You weren't allowed to show or weren't supposed, you weren't supposed to show emotion. Remember when Tom Watson chips in on the 17th hole at Pebble Beach where he goes on to win the U.S. Open? And he's so excited, and then he has to compartmentalize. He, he has to go, then he stops, and then you have to have that decorum there. It's a gentleman's sport here playing golf. But hard to add too much hype to a sport that demands absolute silence in the middle of a swing. And if you're a golf fan, probably just happy to see the players back. I don't know how it's going to sound. Jim Nance is going to be in the 18th tower by himself. Nick Faldo, who's going to be the analyst for the telecast, is going to be in Orlando at the uh, Golf Channel studios there. But if you're looking for big picture, trying something new could be a positive step towards making golf a little more enjoyable and reach a wider audience. I just don't know miking up the players how much, I mean, there's familiarity. I just don't know how much talking is involved or there will be because these guys aren't really competing with the guy next to them at their, you know, in their twosome. They're, they're competing with themselves to post a great number. Now, if this is Sunday late afternoon, I don't know how much smack talk they're going to be. We had that with, the reason why it worked with Tiger and Phil was because it was Peyton and Brady those were the guys that were doing the talking. Tiger didn't say much. He had a couple of lines in there. Phil gave us a tutorial, gave us a lesson on just about every shot. But Peyton's one of the great trash talkers. And then Brady started to make some shots. Now it was interesting. Yeah, Seaton. Well, I hate admitting this because I'm supposed to be an adult. Um, but remember when you had all those videos of Tiger farting? <laughs> and it was awesome. It was so hilarious. But that was David Faraday yeah. who had his fart machine. And he was behind Tiger and he had a relationship or has a relationship with Tiger where he could do it and he would crack up Tiger. Yeah, so I'm, I'm all about that content. I don't know if you can do that now, but uh, and Faraday's not on the course anymore. Yeah, Paul. But do you think with the golf and being mic'd up, they'll pause at certain points when a player's going from one tee to the next and say, can we get a minute with you? And they'll do a little, little chat. It'll be benign. And then also, I would assume that someone from the PGA Tour will be there almost like a filter to make sure that nothing offensive gets through and they go like the NFL does. I don't know if we get to listen to everything or they're just going to pick and choose and say, oh, we had this exchange uh, last hole. And then they'll bring back a little clip there and go, okay. I don't know if that's really going to add to anything here with the PGA Tour. Yes, we'd love 
I saw the a report of some of the names they might mic up. It might be Ricky Fowler and Graham McDowell. I don't. That's not going to get me anywhere. I I need. Does that have to be the right player? Well, I want to know if there's an exchange there. I want to know if you know when Phil and Tiger did had their first match. It wasn't interesting because they didn't really have much to say, and then they clammed up on the final you know five or six holes. It wasn't entertaining at all. This time around, they realized. We got to get more involved. And then you had Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. That's what made it enjoyable. But I, I mean, I can't sit here and go, I can't wait to hear this guy, Kevin Kisner, mic'd up. I'm just throw out a name there. Yeah, see. You know who I saw his playing this weekend? Um, remember Maverick McNeely? Yeah. Didn't he come to the Pebble Beach set? Yeah, we met him in uh, Pebble Beach. Yeah. yeah. Great name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a strong name. That's a movie name. Star yeah. power name. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Golf's coming back, and it's like, oh, by the way, I don't think people realize this event, I think, starts tomorrow at Colonial. The Charles Schwab Invitational there. Tiger's not playing in this, is he? I don't think so. He's not. Okay. But the top five players are in 16 to the top 20. That's like they're calling. <laughs> they're putting out a, Wait, is Tiger not a top five player? I guess not, no. He's not? Uh yeah, because he probably didn't play enough tournaments. You know, uh, PGA rankings? Really? I'll double-check right. that. Okay. All right, uh, poll question. I don't know what we had in the first I, hour. We were was, all over the map in the first hour. It was the over-under on baseball oh, season. Oh, okay. uh, game. 74.5, set by our guy Max. Yeah, uh, in Vegas. 72% say it will go under that number. All okay. right. Yeah, I'm going over. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go at 75 or more for Major League Baseball when they come back. I'm optimistic. I'm not Danny Downer today. I'm optimistic. Uh, let me see. We talked about Wilt Chamberlain's greatness. For some reason, I dove into the record books last night. I was bored, and I started looking at stats. I looked at Pete Maravich's stats, Oscars, Jerry West, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. And then I, I brought it in this morning, and I just thought, you know what? People look at stats, and we use stats you know, in accordance to how it strengthens or weakens your argument. And, uh, you know, I, I was looking at Will Chamberlain and, and we don't embrace his numbers, but we embrace Babe Ruth's numbers. And I don't know why, but we do. Wilt was never embraceable. Babe Ruth, womanizer, drinking, partying, but he was a great baseball player. Plus, we didn't get to see him on TV or people back then. It was on radio. You became larger than life. Wilt was larger than life, but that wasn't good enough for people. And he didn't win enough. And that may, you know, we embrace Allen Iverson more than Will Chamberlain. We like the little guy, the guy that you can identify with. That's why we love Steph Curry. We love Steve Nash. Look at those little guys out there. It's the big guy like Shaq. How come you don't win more? You need to make free throws. <laughs> okay. Like we only look at uh, certain guys in their free throw percentages. Will Chamberlain didn't shoot well from the line. Bill Russell didn't shoot well from the line. Shaq didn't shoot well from the line. We tend to pick and choose what's important when it comes to... And, and, and I said that there's going to be 10 or 15 years down the road where you might not have Larry Bird, Wilt Chamberlain, still in the top 10 greatest players of all time. Is Carl Malone in the top 10? I think he's on the outside. No, he's always in that 11 through 20 range. Okay. Because Steph Curry is going to move up the list. Let's say they make another run, and why wouldn't they? You get the number one overall pick. You get everybody else healthy. 
if he adds one more title or two more titles, Steph Curry, widely recognized, the greatest player, shooter of all time, greatest shooter of all time, he's going to go in and somebody's got to drop out here. Uh, Kobe should be higher on these lists. In my opinion, he should be higher on these lists. Yes, he it's, it's kind of like we were talking about, I don't know, recently with Steph, where the game was different after he entered the league. He changed the game. Yes. You have to be, if you're somebody who changed the game, you have to be high on that list. Well, you would think, and, and I, have, I have no problem with that. It's not, you know, people have recency bias. I don't have recency anti-bias. Like, I don't go, well, wow, that guy's a great shooter. But if he played back in the 70s or 60s, no. And I don't do it the other way around. Well, he couldn't play in today, but he could play back in the 60s and 70s. I just know in your era, in your generation, how did you do? And Steph Curry changed the game. You want to put him in there, greatest shooter of all time? I don't think you have anybody arguing that. And if he has championships, which is really important, you got championships. How is history going to treat Russell Westbrook? How's history going to treat James Harden? How's history going to treat the Greek freak? What if the Greek freak doesn't have any titles? What if he ends up with three titles? Like LeBron wins one more. LeBron is top five already. But you start to look at these lists. Magic will go down a little bit, but he shouldn't because of the number of titles that he won. Larry was had a three-year window where, four-year window, he was the best player in the game, winning you know three MVPs. You know, they, he has three NBA championships. But I, I don't know. It feels like that out of sight, out of mind here, that people are going to forget the greatness that a lot of these players displayed on a night-in, night-out basis. Yeah, Paul. Steph Curry might need a second act or after this injury to cement himself as a top-ten player because his first four years in the league, he did not make the All-Star team. He had ankle injuries and missed some games here and there. Mm-hmm. But then he had a six-year run where he was the most, probably the most entertaining player in the sport captivating player maybe not the best but the most captivating and now he's on to the this back half of his career but he just broke his left hand not even his shooting hand i yeah. believe and they're going to have clay and they're going to have draymond and you're going to have a number one pick they're they're going to be you know a force to be reckoned with again yeah mclevin steph's got injury issues always has i mean well when he first came in he had the ankle issue and then they almost traded him I mean, the year they lost to LeBron and the Cavs, he missed two series right before. I mean, he slipped and hurt his knee. That yeah. was a, that was a big deal. I mean, I don't know if the series would have gone differently, but he always feels brittle, right? Like, he's going to get hurt again, isn't he? That's why I was, like, glad he's not coming back. Well, no, he came back. No, I don't think he did. Did he? he came back. Oh, he came back at the end? Yeah, he played, oh. like, four games. Yeah, I'm he sorry, broke his left hand. Oh, my God. Then what am I? So it wasn't even a leg thing? No, it was Clay Thompson with the leg. And as we finally found out, Durant's not coming back. Now, people were holding out hope or saying, yeah, I'm hearing. And I, I said, no, he's not coming back. Need not. Uh, John in North Carolina. Hey, John, what do you have for me today? Uh, hey, Dan, 59250. All right. Um, my thing about Will Chamberlain is um, we consider that three-year period where Shaq was with Kobe I won three straight titles. Shaq to be not even arguably the most dominant big man in, in the NBA at that time. But we don't give the same credit to Will Chamberlain for being 
for being the greatest basketball player during that during his era. And I'm not and I don't understand the I don't understand why it's not clicking with some people as to why his greatness has to be diminished just because Bill Russell won. Well, that's that's the label that he has, and thank you, John. That sounded like John Thompson. A lot like But he said he was 5'9", so if he said he was 6'11", I'd go, oh, that's the former Georgetown head coach. Yeah, it's it just, I think Wilt's been forgotten. If Oscar didn't average a triple-double and win one championship, then we might forget Oscar. Oscar, every year, was averaging 27 and 10. 27 points, 10 assists. Good for good field goal percentage, good free throw shooter. But if you don't have that gimmick, the re- only reason why people bring up Oscar is, and they never saw him play, is well, he averaged a triple double. And that was every anytime somebody said Oscar Robertson, they go, oh, he averaged triple double. Bill Russell, he won 11 titles. Like everybody, it feels like has a designation. Wilt, I uh, never, never won the big one. Yeah, he couldn't win the big one. He wasn't a winner. He was a loser. He quit on his team. You know, like, Wilt has this Shaq. Uh, they should have won more at the Lakers. I think it, there's always something there with these players. Uh, Tim Duncan. Yeah, but he had Hall of Famers around him. Hall of Fame coach. David Robinson, Hall of Famer. Ginobili, Hall of Famer. Tony Parker, Hall of Famer. Like, everybody has Carl Malone. Hey, never won the big one. Never won championship. Barkley never won championship. Jerry West, he only won one. He lost all those NBA finals. Everybody has one it, like description that's attached to them. And that's what happened. That's happened for decades now. And then Russell Westbrook averaged a triple-double a couple times. And then we went, yeah, but anybody can average a triple-double. Like it became, we diminished that. When he said, no, I can do that. <laughs> but back then, when shooting percentages were worse, where you could get more rebounds, uh, now, you might say it was harder to get assists. And Oscar played on a bad team. But Russell Westbrook basically turned that stat on his ear. Triple-double. Yeah, no big deal. How many times do you want me to do it here? But I, 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 I tend to stand up for Wilt, even though he told me to get the bleep off the Laker bus in my one encounter with him back in the early 70s. And he was right. I should have gotten off the bleeping bus because... Who am I to go on the bus? I was not an employee of the Lakers back then. <laughs> I was probably 12 years old, and I wanted an autograph from Wilt Chamberlain. I respect the move. That's guts. Oh, my God. We were just standing outside of the Lakers bus in Cincinnati, and Wilt sat in the first seat. And my friends were like, you should go on there. You should, you should go up there and get his autograph. And I thought, well, the, the Royals are moving out of town. I'll never see Wilt again. At least I, in my mind, I was not going to see him. And I thought, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to walk on the... I took two steps. And he stood up and said, get the bleep off the bus. So he has to duck because he's so... T- he stands up. And I went, oh, my God. So he's already... I'm on the second step. So he's already he's like 7'7 seven, seven to me the way... I, and here I am probably 5'10". And, uh, excuse me, can I have your autograph, Mr. Chamberlain? And he stood up and get the F off the bus. And then I got off, and then my friends go, what did he say? What did he say? And I said, he told me to get the F off the bus. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I'm shaking. 
Yeah, Paul. Have you guys ever had a really good or really bad autograph experience, like in your first 20 years when you asked for autographs? Well, that one was. But have, has anyone else had one where like, oh, that, that messed me up or wow, that guy came through, that athlete came through and did it when I didn't expect it? Mm. I remember hating Willie Mays for decades just because I was in Scottsdale at a spring training game and I yelled out to him as he's coming in in between innings to sign my program and he didn't. And I was probably like six years old and I held that against Willie Mays all of these years and it wasn't his fault. He's playing a game. I'm going, Hey, well, he was sign my, you know, and he didn't. I'm like, I hate Willie Mays. I love Hank Aaron. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, we'll talk some basketball here. Howard Beck, friend of the show, is going to join us coming up. Been a while since we've talked to him. He wrote a great article, and this is a this is a long one. It's called Bryant to Shaq. Two days, uh, two decades after one of the wildest turning points in NBA history, Lakers Blazers recall the lob that tied Kobe and Shaq together forever, sparked a three-peat, and upended a powerhouse. Uh, this is a long, long, great detail in here too. Great detail. Talk to all, you know, almost all the principals in there. So we'll uh, talk some basketball with uh, Howard Beck and uh, Bob Costas will join us coming up in an hour. For now, we'll get to more phone calls as well. 18 after the hour here on the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 to noon Eastern or 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for the Dan Patrick Show at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every day on the iHeartRadio app, by searching FSR. This program is brought to you by Mercedes-AMG. Be prepared for whatever comes your way. It's the all-new GT four-door coupe because life is a race. Visit your local dealership for a test drive today. If you missed any of our interviews this week or any week from the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, go to the DP Show app. Watch and listen from inside the Mercedes-AMG Man Cave, Mercedes-AMG driving performance. Paulie, you came up with a new game called Guess That Quote. This is actually a Seton O'Connor production. Oh. I am just a general contractor here. But uh, it's hot, it's new, and we have special music we made just for this event. Okay, here we go with Guess That Quote. Feels like this is a theme song that we use for a lot of things on this show. It's slightly tweaked. Okay. <laughs> Guess That Quote. Seton O'Connor, what's the quote? All right, well, it's hopefully you all don't know this because that would really take uh, the, the sting out of the game show but okay. someone recently said this I know what I'm worth and I know day in and day out without publicly coming in and saying it that historically I'm one of the best quarterbacks to play the game yeah I know who it is <laughs> yeah Paul based on that quote and the state of this person's career it doesn't sound like he would say it but it could have been Dak Prescott no it's a backup quarterback his name is... I know what I'm worth, and I know day in and day out, without publicly coming in and saying it, that historically, I'm one of the best quarterbacks to play the game. Isn't he publicly saying it? <laughs> he is publicly yes, he saying is. it now, currently. Yes. Say hello to Jameis Winston. Yay! <laughs> I was trying to be nice to him and not bring it up on the show today, but you brought it up and guessed that quote. But uh, Jameis Winston, historically, is one of the great quarterbacks of all time. Although, as McLovin says, you know, the number of yards he threw for is one of the, what, top 10 in NFL history? Oh, it's got to be. Yeah, great. Uh, Howard <laughs> Beck joins us on loan from Bleacher Report, senior NBA writer. His most recent column, Bryant to Shaq, two decades after one of the wildest turning points in NBA history. Lakers, Blazers, royalty recall the lob that tied Kobe and Shaq together forever. 
sparked a three-peat and upended a powerhouse. Good morning, Howard. When did you decide to do Bryant to Shaq? Good morning, Dan. Um, and let me just humbly say that without saying it publicly, I think this is one of the greatest oral histories <laughs> I've ever written. Well done. Um, I, so, you know, I, obviously I covered that series for the LA Daily News back in the day, and it was just always one of my favorite games, one of my favorite moments, that lob, and one of my favorite series. And it's also just this wonderful sliding doors moment because, of course, they were down 15 in the fourth quarter of that game, and probably arguably should have lost. And if they had, there is no dynasty and the Blazers probably win the championship and history is much different. And I've wanted to return to this for a long time. I almost did it four years ago. In fact, your upcoming guest, Bob Costas and I spoke four years ago when I first started poking around to do something on this, it got shelved at the time. We revived it more recently, unfortunately for two reasons, the 20th anniversary of that game. And also of course the passing of, of Kobe in January. Favorite interview with this was who? Well, I got five players from each team, um, plus Mike Dunleavy Sr. Uh, Phil Jackson and I emailed a little bit, but that was it. So I got a lot of great voices. I think out of all of them, you know, Bonzi was really great. Bonzi was a lot of fun. Bonzi Wells was one of these guys who back in the day, I think had kind of, you know, the, this, this jaded view of him, this, the reputation because of those Blazers teams at the time that he was looked at as kind of a young knucklehead and, you know, part of that crew that was often derided as the jail Blazers, which I think is a terrible, unfortunate term that's, that still unfortunately lives. Um, Bonzi was wonderful. He, he just, he, he could tell you all of the, the pain and anguish of being part of that collapse, but in a way that, that history and time has given him the perspective of it. Uh, he was candid. He was fun to talk to. He told me this great thing that did not make the piece, which uh, I, I just want to throw in real quick. He said that before game seven, which on a, on a Sunday, that night, a Saturday night, he says, I went to bed at 10 o'clock. I went to bed at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night in L.A. because I knew I had to deal with Kobe. And I knew that Kobe <laughs> Bryant wasn't going to be out partying on a Saturday night. And so the only person on earth who could make me go to bed at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night in L.A. was Kobe. Yeah, you look back on that era, and I, I remember saying it at, when, when they broke up that we'll remember uh, what they didn't accomplish and not necessarily what they did accomplish. Do you know what the real core, the reason was that Shaq and Kobe broke up? It was layered, Dan. I mean, the, the easy reductive version is, well, Kobe didn't want him there anymore, and Kobe had all the leverage in the world because he was entering free agency, and if Shaq had stayed, Kobe could have walked across the hallway to the Clippers, which he had flirted with doing all season, and in fact had sent very strong signals, including to Mike Dunleavy, uh, you know, the, the, who was at that time the coach of the Clippers, and, and I think GM as well. Um, so there was, there was that, and, and that's not to be diminished, but there were other factors. Shaq wanted a max extension, which at that time, remember, Shaq's salary had been grandfathered in before there were maxes in the NBA. There was no max salary when he got his big deal to join the Lakers in the first place. So they were constantly building on this huge salary that was bigger than anybody else's, and he was getting up there uh, in, in just you know years and mileage. He, uh, of course, had had some serious injuries or at least nagging injuries, so Jerry Buss didn't want to give him the extension to the extent that Shaq wanted it. So Shaq had been pouting all year about that. And so that was a big part of it too, Dan. Um, but yeah, listen, at the core of it, you could see it in the 2004 finals against Detroit. Kobe and Shaq wanted nothing to do with each other by that point. They had already, they hadn't been split up technically, but they were already done. Talking to Howard Beck, Bleacher Report senior NBA writer, the column, and it's a, 
It's a deep dive. It's great. There's so much detail here in talking to uh, the principals involved in this. Bryant to Shaq. It's on uh, Bleacher Report. I was talking about Will Chamberlain's place in history, and it feels like we don't embrace him the way we do Babe Ruth. There's certain guys that we pick and choose of what we point out or what we leave out. You know, Bill Russell was a flawed offensive player, shot 44% from the floor, wasn't a good free throw shooter, but he won 11 titles. You know, Kobe won five, but he can't be Michael. So, you know, how high do you put him up? Like, it's weird how we pick and choose. Tim Duncan, hey, he's the greatest power forward of all time. He's a center, but he wanted to be a power forward. I just don't know in 10 or 15 years from now, who is in the top 10 now that won't be in the top 10 greatest players of all time? Who's going to fall out and who's going in, in your opinion? Oh, boy. Um, I guess it depends on, on who's in your top 10 right now. Uh, it, it's, it's, you know, and by the way, like for me, every time I'm ever asked this, I always punt and it's not because I'm trying to be <laughs> cowardly or squeamish. I just comparing players and teams across the eras in, in the NBA, maybe more than any other sport is just impossible. The game has evolved so much, has changed in so many dramatic ways, the style of play, the pace of play, um, you know, even the, even the, you know, obviously the, the, the width of the key, like everything changes. And so it's hard to make these comparisons, Dan. And, you know, you were alluding to it earlier before I came on about the, the narratives or the, the taglines that we affix to each of these guys. And I think they're appropriate because it's, it's our shorthand way of encapsulating what they meant, right? What Bill Russell meant was he was the ultimate champion. We don't get into the stats and the nitty gritty, and we don't have as much data for that era anyway, it stands on its own. He was the greatest champion of all time. Wilt, the most dominant of all time. And it doesn't matter how many championships he won. Um, you know, Michael Jordan is just simply the GOAT. And LeBron is trying to challenge him for that. Uh, and some people think it's a one-two race. And others say, no, you're forgetting Kareem, who was the, the real greatest of all time. I, you know, it, you can go round and round on this. I mean, Kevin Durant, you asked who's going to break in. Yeah. If Kevin Durant's not already in, I think he... Should be. Yeah, I, I um, left him out. So you got Steph who's going to be in. Durant's yeah. going to be in. And I, I guess I got to make way for the Greek freak to maybe be a top 10 player of all time. If he wins I'll, titles. If Yeah, see, I'll stop short on that one only because he's still so early in his career. You can see the outline of one of the all-time greats and skill set wise and impact on the game over the last couple of years. You can already say that that's that he's there, but longevity matters too, right? Your, the imprint you make needs to last at least kind of a, a half decade to a decade. So let's, let's wait until we've seen the longevity and how far he can take it all. But yeah, just the, the sheer dominance on the court, you could put his skill set, his total uh, package of, of, of skills up against anybody. How do you think history treats James Harden? That's a, that's a really, really interesting one. And this is a big uh, you know, as weird as this postseason is going to be in the Orlando bubble, it's a really important one for him because he's going to turn 31, I think, this summer, um, maybe during the bubble. And, you know, he's got all the accolades, all the individual accomplishments. He is one of the greatest scorers of all time. But, you know, this is when we start really, you know, picking somebody apart. Well, he was one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen, but the aesthetics of his game weren't that appealing to a lot of people. He was one of the greatest scorers of all time, but he never made the finals. He never won a ring. And so he's got that, you know, hanging over him right now. And if, if he never wins the big one, look, there's a plenty. We have a, a large list of guys, long list of guys, you know, Charles Barkley and Carl Malone and John Stockton, you know, Patrick Ewing, guys who are, we know are all-time greats who never won the big one. It happens. 
there is some elements of luck and timing and supporting cast and all these other things. But Harden has the added uh, difficulty in this discussion of his own performance is what has often held his teams back in the postseason. So he does have that burden. But do you think, does history look favorably uh, more so on Russell Westbrook or James Harden? I think history will look better on James Harden than Russell Westbrook. And and look, you know, my bias in this discussion is that of the two of them, I've always thought James Harden was the better overall offensive weapon. Let's face it. Neither one of them is going to be ever be known for their defense. Um, They're both great playmakers in different ways. And Westbrook had the gaudier stats. If you want to count just the the triple doubles, which I think have become a little exaggerated in terms of importance um, as impressive as it is. Harden is far, far, far more efficient. He is miles better from three-point range and just overall more efficient, whether you're using true shooting percentage or effective field goal percentage or any other measure, Harden is the more efficient player. Let me go back to your column before I uh, touch on the NBA's plan to return. Where do you rank Shaq and Kobe of greatest duos in NBA history? It's tough. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't want to use my, my back door out here as I did earlier with, <laughs> because I already pulled that card. Okay, once. give me your best duos of all time. You don't have to okay. rank. So, all right. No, well, look, the one that leaps to mind immediately is Michael and Scotty. They okay. were just the versatility, the two-way impact of the two of them, offensively and defensively. They were just phenomenal. Those teams were beautiful to watch. It was great that we got the last dance recently because whether you were, you know, in our age range and had lived through it, watched it as, as fans um, and just got the refresher, or if you were younger fans who never saw them, they just played an incredible brand of basketball. Obviously, Magic and Kareem are right up there. Shaq and Kobe are, are in the discussion. There's no question. And Shaq, the way Shaq always puts it, and I think did again in my story is, that they're the best, uh, you know, big man guard combo of all time. Kareem would you put them over Kareem and Magic? Because I wouldn't. It it's it's tough. Um, Kareem has more overall accomplishments than Shaq. Um, you you might lean Kobe over Magic, although Magic's playmaking and, and maybe the greatest point guard of all time. You know, generally speak, you know, generally considered that. It. It, it's it's tough. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think if you ask Laker fans that, it would be completely breaking along generational lines. Probably so. Uh, we have an idea. A loser's tournament. The eight teams that don't get invited to Orlando. Why not allow them to be, you know, you have a warm-up band when you go see, you know, the Rolling Stones. So you have a warm-up act where you have the eight teams playing and they played over three games. And then the winner of the tournament gets the number one pick in the draft. Single elimination, number one pick in the draft, and it's a loser's tournament. Uh, We eliminate tanking here for good, Howard. (laughs) So this is not just for 2020. This is in perpetuity? Well, uh, let's start this year and then see how it works. You know, I, I... I love the idea and I love anything that incentivizes the worst teams to actually try. Here comes the butt. Come on, give me the butt here. (laughs) But um, not this year because the whole point of the exercise in Orlando is safety. And so the reason we're going 22 and not 30, and frankly, I think it should have been 16, is that more bodies, more teams equals more risk, more tests, more everything. So um, if you now take the other eight and put them in their own bubble somewhere and have the losers tournament, you've got to deal with all the coronavirus concerns all over again. What There's my buzzkill. What a buzzkill. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, the team to beat when this tournament starts is? The Lakers. 
Um, they have LeBron. They were the, the team with the most momentum going into the suspension of the season. They had just beaten the Bucks and Clippers over that, that prior weekend. And, you know, I, I, I picked the Clippers back in October, Dan, and I still feel like top to bottom, the Clippers have the overall better depth collection of talent, and they've got an element in Lou Williams that the Lakers just don't have. They both have a top two, but the, the Clippers have a third guy who can drop 25 on a given night. The Lakers just don't. And so – I, I still lean that way intellectually, but the, the Lakers had the momentum. Now, does momentum get you from March 11th through this <laughs> massive gap to July 31st? Probably not, but they, they deserve the benefit of the doubt. Your wild card team to win it all. Ooh, um, I don't think there's a wild card in the West. It's either the Lakers or the Clippers. The Rockets, you don't think? See, I, I no. looked at the Rockets and said, if they happen to capture magic in a bottle here with their small ball then I th- then I, they're the team that I would be the they I would look at them as the outlier here in the West. They're fun for that reason because they've just got the, the firepower is amazing and the, yes maybe if things break their way a couple calls plus there's no home court advantage yeah. um, and we don't know what anybody's going to look like when they come back or what kind of chemistry or rhythm anybody is in I still think they rely too much on individual talent James Harden's going to score this time Russell Westbrook's going to score this time there's no real collaborative effort there and that's what breaks down in the playoffs if you are a superb individual talent but the rest of the cast is not involved there's so much isolation play i think that's where it breaks down for the rockets um i think the sleepers are in the east um if the bucks are going in as everybody's you know kind of agreed upon favorite and they should be toronto's really strong even without Kawhi. they were they've, they've had a phenomenal season i love the celtics young uh talent and the way they were coming together, I don't. I wouldn't put it out of the, the possibility that pick one, Howard. You get one. Come on. Okay, it's, it's Toronto then. Okay, uh, they're the defending champs, so that's that feels cheap. But they're the defending champs without the MVP of the finals. Yeah, I liked Boston. Um, I guess Philadelphia are are they an outlier here? I think Philly is is in the East. What the Rockets are in the West, like okay. a lot of question marks. But the talent is there, and now that they've had all this time for Simmons and Embiid to get healthy, there's a shot. He's Howard Beck, Bleacher Report's senior NBA writer, and uh, it's a great read. You don't have to be a Laker fan. If you're a Blazer fan, you're not going to enjoy this, but uh, it's uh, called Bryant to Shaq, and uh, it's on Bleacher Report. Howard, great to talk to you again. Are you going to Orlando? I'm still weighing that right now. I'm not going to go in for the bubble because that requires that long lockdown and and way too much time away and very little payoff in terms of access. I'm weighing whether to go just for the finals, but that would probably be it, unfortunately. Good to talk to you. Thank you, Howard. Appreciate you, Dan. Thank you. We'll take a break. Back after this with phone calls, Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. Last night, I proved that, once again, no good deed goes unpunished. Went golfing with my wife. And she's just starting out. I got her clubs. Callaway got her some clubs. And I said, all right, hey, Take a couple of lessons, get comfortable. So she took a couple lessons, and now she said, uh, let's go play. Went out and played nine holes. This is a, it's a great tutorial in what to say and what not to say. Because it can help you. It can help you wherever you are with your wife, not just playing golf, of what to say and how to say it, and encouragement, and um, 
I got through, I almost got through nine holes without saying something maybe I shouldn't have. Yeah, Paul. Because if you have a buddy, let's say you're a pretty good golfer and one of your bros says, I'm going to take up the game and you two go hit the links. You could just berate them and say like, hey, you hit in the lumber yard. All those good yeah. caddyshack quotes. Yeah. I'm guessing that can't be done with the missus. Well, she was putting and she was a little aggressive, a little strong with it. And I said, you're like a longshoreman. And then she goes, what does that mean? I said, well, no, you're, you're, you're strong. You know, like, like the, you, you hit it strong, you know, like hard. And she goes, wait, so that's bad. Oh, I go, no, it, I said, I was just making a, like an analogy here. Like, you know, longshoremen, they're strong. And then you were hitting it too far. Well, I don't, I don't understand that. And I go, what happens if you say nothing? Uh, no, you have to say, oh, wow. Almost. And she'd miss it like by 15 feet. I go, wow, okay, man, it was on a good line. So I, I just was picking my spots and uh, she's picked up the golf bug here. She's fun to have, she's a great conversationalist, but I felt like I had to keep acknowledging how she was playing. And at one point I joked and I said, uh, hey, it'd be nice if you complimented me. And she goes, aren't you supposed to be good? And I said, yeah, I was like she was in this serious competitive mode. And I was like, okay, never mind. Never mind. Oh, you look great tonight, huh? Yes. Yeah, Is your wife very competitive? No, not at all in any sport other than like running a marathon or things, a triathlon, things that I would never compete in. And then that's why it kind of surprised me that she got real competitive. You're talking in my backswing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, honey. <laughs> Yeah, Paul. I, I don't play a lot of tennis. I played a little when I was a kid. I never really got into it. My sister is really good now. Like she didn't play it when she was a kid. Uh, about a year ago, I played just you know tennis with my sister. She's drastically better than I am, and she let me know she enjoyed torturing me. I don't know if I. I, I think that's okay with brother and sister. Yeah, husband and wife. No, it's not. No, good. like even I had the uh, the yellow uh, Callaway ball, and she wanted to know why I had yellow, and she had an orange one. And she said, does that mean that I'm not as good? I said, no, no, it's just, I, I'll take the orange one. You have the yellow one. Like, you, you got to pick and choose. Pick, pick your spots there. I was just trying to make sure I was saying all the right things. Father's Day coming up, though. Uh, let me see. Got a couple of phone calls. Zach in Florida. Hi, Zach. What do you have for me today? Hey, Dan, how we doing? Good. Yeah, so uh, I just really am disappointed with this whole Kobe Bryant not being in the top 10. A couple months ago, you guys had a poll with the top 75, and he wasn't in the top 10. I'm speaking as a 23-year-old lifelong Lakers fan, of course, so uh, my view might be a little obscured. But no, he should, he's a top 10 player. No, he is. Absolutely. He's a top 10 player. That's what I'm trying to say, Dan. I saw, I saw Kobe take the Lakers in 08, 09, and 10. Now, those are the ones I remember. I don't remember the earlier three Pete. But I saw Kobe after he lost to the Celtics go and whoop the Orlando Magic in five games. Kobe was not playing around. He no, said, I'm right there with you, Zach. And thanks for the phone call. Yeah. If not for Michael, we'd be looking at Kobe completely different than we do. It was just Mike came before him. And when we saw Kobe, it was always, yeah, but we've already seen this with Michael. Not fair to Kobe, but Kobe is a top 10 player of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeremy in Texas joins. Hey, Jeremy. 
Morning, guys. How y'all doing? Good. Uh, first thing, with everybody coming back with COVID and the, all the fans coming back, it's going to be very important that they know their section of their own seat. <laughs> so we need to make sure everybody knows that. All right. And uh, two is, y'all were talking about labels. You know, what about Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James? You know, if either one of them win this year, they're going to be the first NBA player to win three championships on three different teams. And so that's a good label to put on one of them. Yeah, but Kawhi is always going to get the label of it. Thanks for calling, Jeremy. That, uh, well, load management and, you know, he came through in the finals with Toronto, came up big there. Uh, San Antonio had some help there, but look, he, he still put up when you needed him to. And if he wins with the Clippers, yeah, but the load management is going to be Kawhi's uh, label. It will. Well, when we look back, we'll go, oh, then, yeah, he started load management. By then, we might go, man, load management's really smart. Yeah, McLovin. Doesn't personality and visibility play into this? Like, Kawhi never does interviews, so he's going to fall because of that. I'm surprised. Tim Duncan didn't do an interview. Yeah, but, and I'm wondering, like, I think he's going to fall out of the top 10, too. I don't think we're going to remember Tim Duncan as well. We might not, but it feels like because he won five titles. Nobody can tell you probably a signature play with Tim Duncan. When your nickname is the big fundamental, you're just not screaming out highlights there. Just saying. <laughs> Dominique Wilkins was the human highlight. <laughs> That's different than Tim Duncan. He was the antithesis of that. He's the big fundamental. <laughs> the human low light. But he was a great player. Great. Yeah, McLeod. Well, you're right. Shaq <laughs> has the biggest personality, and he's only 10 on these lists. So it's not, a, you're right. Personality isn't everything. Yeah, Paul. Tim Duncan, everyone agrees his greatness. He always averaged like, you know, 24 and 11. Yeah. In his entire career, this is so Tim Duncan, he never led the league in any statistical category. Okay. Not any. He was always good in all of them. <laughs> like, you know, assists. Even He was a good assist guy. He was a good yeah. block, shot, block shots. Yeah. No. Not one category. The big fundamental. Yeah. <laughs> When your nickname is Fundy, <laughs> it just, hey, come on out. Hey, uh, kids, let's go out and see the big fundamental tonight. Let's check out his efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> come on, kids. Yeah. Did you see that bank shot? Bob Costas will join us coming up. More phone calls as well. Dan and the Danettes and Todd here on the Dan Patrick Show.